The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Mulch. And I'm your host, Ronald Schmelzer. Our guest today is Gant Laborde, who is the Chief Innovation Officer at Infinite Red. Hi, Gant. Thank you so much for joining us today on the AI Today podcast. Hi, how y'all doing? We're great. Welcome, Gant, and thanks so much for joining us today. We'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about your background and your current role at Infinite Red. All right. So I've been programming for 20 years. I got into it because it was fun and interesting and neat and then said, okay, I want to make my life doing this. Got into it for a good bit, and then I sort of had, everybody has their burnout, and then I reached out to figure out how to get out of that burnout, and I met a bunch of really cool people and open source people across the nation, and I started working with this wonderful company, Infinite Red. And so I was doing consulting with them. They were fantastic, really nice. I got to work on a lot of open source and community-driven stuff. We talked at conferences, and it was just sort of like the feel-good revival (laughs) So as I was working with them, I've been moving up the ranks. I started off as one of their head consultants, and I moved from there to lead developer to eventually I had chief technology officer. Now I'm chief innovation officer. So actually now I finally own a percentage of the company. So I've really been enjoying my career path. And a lot of what I get to do is help a lot of people explain complex concepts in a really fun and friendly way. And then at the same time, sort of be a mad scientist and check out cool stuff. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's definitely a great role. And, and obviously, the interesting thing about artificial intelligence is that it's full of mad scientists. Because, <laughs> oh, yes. Because, yeah, a little, a little too much, though. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but fortunately for us, like, we've been talking to like, you know, you know, a lot of our interviews are with, are with end users and both in the private and public sector. And a lot of the stuff that like really makes traction is a lot of the boring stuff. You're like, yeah, mad scientists. I'd rather just go for like a mad secretary at this point or a mad office administrator because that's pretty much where AI is being applied. You know, and it's, and it's interesting you mentioned about being a developer and even some of the things we were talking earlier about training and sort of getting the education out there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's definitely something we look at a lot too. There's a lot of need for information in the oh, yeah. uh, AI landscape. And, you know, at Cognolytica, we're definitely finding that many companies and governments, you know, want to use AI. They don't know where to begin. And, you know, that, that's mm-hmm. part of the reason why we offer our various training programs that help you, you know, get started. Something that we do as part of our seven patterns of AI, the AI projects that are based on our seven patterns of AI. We, we'd spend a lot of time talking about those things in our podcast and of course methodologies for doing AI right. You know, that things we talk about at cognolitica.com slash training if you're interested in that. And so as part of that, you know, we know that AI is impacting every industry. As developers, you're probably seeing that you spend a lot of time with them. So, you know, what industries do you see as getting the most adoption for AI and kind of where do you think have the most to gain from well, use of AI? Uh, across the board, really. It's startups that we work with a lot. So at Infinite Red, we work with a lot of uh, people starting their mobile app idea and they're on a budget. So they want to share a lot of code between web, mobile, and Android. But we do high quality across the board because we do React Native. So we're able to share a lot of JavaScript across that. And we get people that come in here and some of them have just the most amazing ideas and they're using AI to disrupt the industry because of something's already there. 
or they've just come up with something that was an okay idea that when AI has been added to it, it's a really, really impressive idea. It's just because I think we're sort of in an age where coming up with those, so like what you were saying, education is very important in this because people can't come up with the ideas if they don't understand what the things are, what the pieces are. And so it's the table of elements that sort of, I think that people need for a bit. And actually, I would love to link to uh, your course. I, I made a free five-day course that's out there for people who just don't know how to talk AI. Mm. And it's just a simple thing. So wow. actually, one of the things I'd love to do is when they finish that, I could maybe link them over to yours as well. Because I think that once you start seeing it around you, the cool ideas show up everywhere. Yeah. And it's not like cryptocurrency where someone's trying, I believe, still to figure out a really cool use for that. <laughs> I'm well, so sorry, cryptocurrency. Well, people. you know, we can get a whole other conversation about the banking system and privacy <laughs> and fiat currency and all that sort of for my, our listeners that are into crypto. But obviously, I know what you're saying because a lot of the practical applications of AI are just so mundane, right? We just talked about this, like, you know, uh, for natural language processing or document classification or image recognition. These are things you can look, as you said, look around every day and find immediate applications, you know, pretty much everywhere you look. Right. And I think that it's actually, in some ways, as it's, it's described in academia, it's mundane. But as it's applied, it's hilarious and fun and exciting. I actually run a Twitter account called Fun Machine Learn. Oh. And it's just full of fun examples. Like, I don't accept the silly, like, you know, okay, I found this text. It's like, okay, well, I, I need to find something that helped me find trash in my backyard so I could <laughs> so I could have a drone pick it up or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. I think that like the creative fun examples come in when you ensemble these sort of mundane things together for a new industry. And it just seems like I can't figure out an industry where AI won't be in five years. Yeah, that's a really great point to bring up because we say that all the time. The AI is going to affect every single industry. There's obvious applications, banking, retail, but then, you know, pharmaceuticals are getting into it, logistics, mm-hmm. trucking. I mean, literally every single agency, mining. <laughs> and so as machine learning becomes, you know, an AI, as more and more companies are looking into doing this, machine learning models can be operationalized anywhere. And this is something that we talk about a lot in our training, how you can put them into production, operationalize in many locations. However, we're getting to the point now where we're actually seeing it possible that it's in JavaScript in your browser. So how have you seen this transformation evolve over the past year or so? And where do you see it headed? I think that this is the future of really kind of, we've gotten better at it. The machines have gotten fast enough to train these amazing models. You can go rent thousands of computers on a Google Cloud platform, train a model, and then that model that you result in is small enough. It's two megabytes or something like that. And that's small enough to go on edge devices. We're seeing it come in on phone hardware. We're seeing it come in on Raspberry Pis. And like you said just a moment ago, we're seeing it show up inside the browser. And that's really exciting because, you know, not only is it better to keep things locally if you can, because we all saw the face app where, you know, did the aging for everybody, but it was sending it off to a server somewhere. And those people, you've got to keep rights to your photos, which set off everybody. But it'd be cool if you could just do it right there in your browser. First, it's secure. Second, it's fast. And third, it really unlocks the potential of the amount of processor that's necessary for machine learning. If I were trying to, I don't know, detect 
if somebody is coming to the yard next door and dumping trash, I could do a car detector and then run it directly in my browser. And then it could basically leave my server alone until it detects a car driving up to leave trash in this abandoned lot. Then it could tie in with Twilio or whatever, and then send me a text message, turn on lights, do all kinds of fun stuff. And that didn't require any kind of server. It's distributed. So I think that as these things get into the browser, we're going to have some really impressive superhuman-like capabilities built into our apps, our websites, and our mobile apps. Yeah, it definitely brings up some interesting ideas. You know, when we talk about operationalizing AI, I think that's one of the things that really sort of bends people's brains that there's like the whole... In AI, we, it's a different than the application development process because usually when you build functionality, you have a piece of code. That code looks, you know, that piece of Java or whatever looks the same in one application environment as the other. But, mm-hmm. that's, but that's a different mindset for AI. For AI, we may be spending lots and lots of resources training a model. You know, you may have all the parameters that need to be set for a deep learning neural net for an image recognition test. There may be millions of them. And it just takes a long time with lots of data, with lots of compute power, as you know, to train those weights and to basically make the system do what you want it to do. But that final resulting model can itself Mm -hmm. be quite compact, as you mentioned. And so we have all these places where you can put it. And I think that's the interesting little angle here for this podcast is, you know, looking at all these places that we could put these models in places that we may not have thought of before. And you were mentioning some of these interesting ideas. Of course, we think JavaScript is not just JavaScript in the browser, but of course, there's also even JavaScript on the server, JavaScript on the edge, Mm -hmm. various different, different places. And so maybe it's sort of like a little nuanced question here for you. That's to do with like the role of, because usually with AI, you think of it as it's a data project because AI projects are data mm-hmm. projects, you know? And so we usually think about data science teams because those are usually the people that manage data projects. But the world of JavaScript is not necessarily the data science world. So how do you see sort of this developer-centric JavaScript world overlapping with the data-centric data science world? And what about companies that may not have data science teams and that want mm-hmm. to make, but maybe are strong on JavaScript? You know, how do you see this, these worlds and roles evolving and colliding and changing? Yeah, so I kind of believe that we have a bunch of islands right now. The data science team knows a bit more of the statistics background. The model training team is very significantly researched in linear algebra and the mathematics and the operations there. And then the web team, the people who sort of like are the layer before it goes to an application, are generally familiar with the user experience, with how these things should be interactive, what's an acceptable delay, how to hook it up with webcam. And these three islands are building bridges right now, in my opinion, because, you know, with TensorFlow.js, so in 2017, Brain.js was doing fantastic, and TensorFlow.js was released in 2018, which brought all kinds of complex models, like you could train something for hours and hours and convert it to a website in seconds with a simple conversion script. And so you have all these fantastic, like the platform has exploded there. I think that what's going to be important is we're going to have to worry about the terminology a little bit and identifying some of the terms that come from math don't make as much sense to developers, but developers aren't afraid. They're happy to learn new buzzwords. It's usually like an exciting thing for us. You know, we throw around buzzwords all the time. So there just needs to be the place where you can get information and that's education. And then I think that the other aspect of this is that the data that's coming out, it's strangely 
wild to me how much data there is out there for free. People just love posting data sets. And I think that's the oil that drives the machine. But for instance, if I wanted to do something relatively simple, I could take a very popular Google model and just do a little bit of transfer learning with it. And with probably 100, 200, you know, or 500 examples, have a pretty decent machine learning algorithm ready to go. And I think that that's the wild part of it is because I did a talk last year in Poland where I was looking to find Nicolas Cage. <laughs> and <laughs> spoiler alert, he was in there the audience. There you go, yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> no, not, not, not oh. really. Uh, a oh. friend wearing a Nicolas Cage mask. Oh, <laughs> that would have been Everybody awesome, uses though. Nicolas Cage <laughs> as an example. So I was like, I if know, he was I there, know, that's I crazy. Maybe the deep Gans thing. Yeah. The deep fakes, uh, Gans yeah. Are, yeah. <laughs> No, so his friend Matt Hargett was wearing a Nick Cage mask in the audience. And I told everybody that I had lost the Declaration of Independence and someone had stolen it. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty fun talk. It is a lot of fun. And so we program on stage basic face detection. And then we find Nick Cage in the audience. And uh, in his back pocket, of course, is the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> and I think like as these fun sort of vibes are, are filling into the developer world, the complexities of the math and that model I'm talking about, the Nick Cage one, 500 images. That was it. So I think that there are lots of breakthroughs on being able to work with fewer images due to some of the Fortune 500s who need to get 99% accuracy releasing these very useful models for everybody. Okay, great. Yeah, I think that's really the insightful thing here is just sort of the way that we're moving from actually two things. One, of course, the democratization of data science in general, making it easier for people to create models. And as you mentioned, transfer learning and take existing models and extend them and make them pretty good from the get-go. That's we're obviously standing on the shoulders of giants, as it were, because you know we, we have these large companies that have spent all of their time, money, and effort building these models. And of course, thank you very much. We can piggyback on them, which is right. great. One of the things we didn't have in the previous waves of AI, right? That's one of the, part of the reasons why the other previous waves of AI didn't succeed. For our listeners, you should listen to our AI Winters podcast about that. <laughs> but also, the other big change we're seeing is the shift from people building their own models, as it were, to consuming models. So mm -hmm. the consumption-centric approach. And, and that's going to necessitate... We are going to talk about this, yeah. our predictions for 2020, about the emergence of model catalogs and model as a service. And, mm -hmm. and like, but that means you have to know, you have to know more information. Why should you trust that model? Is that model going to do what you think it's going to do? Is it reliable? All that sort of good stuff. And that's going to be a big change, I think, to this environment. Yeah. So, we, so kind of moving along here, I think, you know, obviously we have a lot we could talk about and dig deeper here within this community. Right. I want to say one thing real quick is that, Ron, I think you're right there. And the fun thing is that completes the circle. Once people are able to, I think it's, there's a lot of developer, you know, once these things are connected, the ideas come back and then that helps fund the circle back around. And that makes the bridges better and that makes them bigger and more checkpoints. And that helps actually connect these islands, I think. So that last step that you're talking about, like model catalogs and information, like being able to identify what it is they need when they need to spend a ton of money and when something's quick. I think that once that circuit connects, we're going to see a huge acceleration inside of AI for developers. 
Yeah, that's a great point. Also, some of these companies just don't have the internal resources to even build their own models and have all this data repository. So if they're able to go out and get these models, then I think that this opens up the door for a lot more companies, a lot of smaller companies as well. So Gant, we've enjoyed you so much on the show today. And listeners, we hope that you found a lot of value from this interview with Gant as well. We'll be continuing the conversation on a bonus episode. So make sure to go to AIToday.live and sign up to get notified when the bonus episode is released. And Gant, I'd like to end this by asking you a question we ask our guests. What do you believe the future of AI is in general and its application to corporations and beyond? I'll say that specifically, I think the application is a recontextualization of what people think of as what's valuable in life. What's really funny is we've been saying for a long time, we're going to automate away jobs. That's been said since like the 40s that the work week is going to get shorter and shorter. But what happens is it seems to get longer and longer and people just start doing less and less at their desks. We sort of measure everything by jobs and we're not going to be able to do that at some point. And there will still be purposeful work. There'll be lots of really important work to do. But I think that the future as we have it, people always measure things by unemployment rates. But I think the goal isn't 0% unemployment. It's 100%. It's us actually being able to do meaningful work, creative work, and having all these menial tasks actually automated away so that we can better connect with our fellow people and humanity. So if it's in the right hands, I think that we will finally see that work week go away. If it's in the wrong hands, well, <laughs> then I, I could see it going a different way. So that's part of what we talked about earlier with democratizing AI. The more people who understand it, the better we can all influence it to the greater good. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. We spent a lot of our time talking about as well, the future of work. And yeah. just in general, we, we, have, we talk a lot about what's called the AI-enabled vision of the future. What does it look like, you know, if we sort of take a lot of these ideas from AI and extend it to the broad? So definitely something we've been talking about. One of those little catchphrases we've been saying is that AI is not a job killer. It's a job category killer. But there's another way to say it. It's like AI won't get rid of your job, but it might get rid of your work. And it's actually mm. kind of interesting way to put it, because then if you think about it, <laughs> That way it's like, well, you still have a job because humans are important to, you can't really have a completely autonomous business, but basically the nature of your work will change. And so that's another thing to think about. So again, you, you've been an excellent guest. You know, thank you so much oh, for joining you. us on this podcast. We really appreciate you joining and sharing your insights with our audience. Thank you very much. I appreciate that greatly. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, listeners, please rate us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. As always, we'll post any articles and concepts discussed in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter and more, please visit our website at Cognolitica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group and make sure to join the Cognolytica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright by Cognolytica. All rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.